we are back with part two of our conversation with Sai Connie. I know you missed her. I did too. That's okay. Totally normal. Natural response. You could wipe away those tears and just open up your ears and open up your heart and let the words flow in and the thoughts flow throughout. Here she is from Japan. Sai Knowing what is true for you, and you have your your private moment, follow that truth in your body. You know, if you want to burp, burp. If you want to fart, fart. If you want to scream and swear, do it in a place that doesn't hurt other people, right? And that is the truth of that moment, right? A lot of uh, old men, they are shaking their legs in the train. We call it bimbo yusugi. It's like a poor, poor man shaking, right? <laughs> but I see it's very um, not polite in Japan. Yeah. Right? So the sh- children are agitating on the chair. They think, stop it. Yeah. Sit still, right? But for me, when I see that, ah, this man has a lot of adrenaline and then coaches are in the body. That's why the legs start shaking and they don't even aware of that. Right? Yeah. If you notice that and then doing it in the public or do it in a meeting and offend people, yeah. notice that you're stressed and do something about it. You release that energy in, an, in somewhere else in another moment, right? Like uh, people are shaking on the stage. I always tell them that, okay, shake before you go into the stage. Yeah. Then your body already discharged, you're ready to sing or ready to perform. Right, so you, if you know your body, if you understand your nervous system, what's going on, you can regulate it in a healthy way, not oppressing it. You see what I mean? Yeah. Oh man, this is yeah, this is wild. Uh, what do you think about? Is, I'm going in another direction here now. Um, I know you're not like some technology expert, but a lot of the technologies that we've developed recently, I feel, are also playing a role in and putting us in an overall uh, sympathetic uh, fight flight uh, stressed out state. And I guess we have to release ourselves from that somehow by, you know, getting outside and stepping away from technology and doing all these movements that we've been talking about, but two technologies I want to ask you about. And um, if you have no uh, thoughts on this, we can just skip it. But one is a smartphone, the smartphone we are, uh, looking at in a very short distance, you know, it's angling our eyes inward. That's, that's getting us into sort of this attack mode, this self-centered mode, myopic mode where the phone is there and the cortisol is coming on, the adrenaline is pumping out. And we're like, okay, we're focused in, we're not zoomed out, you know? And we're in this, in these walls, we're in this house where the space is too small, especially in Japan too. So being trapped into these small spaces where our gaze, our eyes, because what our eyes see, that's going to inform our nervous system about, whether we're safe or we're in danger. And when we're focused in on a tiny object like a phone, that's going to cause a bit of stress. And we might not know why, but uh, it, it is. So there's that. And then on the other end of it, it's seeing, like you said, we have to have, see the social safe cues from other people, which is like the sound of their voice, their mouth, like kind of smiling, uh, all these different things like that. And when pretty soon we will be getting Apple just announced their augmented reality glasses. So there's two questions here. I'll remind you. The second one one is a phone. And now with augmented reality glasses, 
um, or glasses in general, sunglasses, for example, will be hiding our eyes. So what happens, one, when we are uh, like looking in at smartphones, and two is what is happening when we can't see each other's faces because of technology hiding their faces, even the mask, for example. But um, you can pick up any of those pieces and just talk about technology in general, but how is technology um, playing a role in all of this? I think both are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> from our animalistic, you know, yeah. sense. Those are terrible. Yeah. Really. I wish I could live my life without phone. Yeah. Uh, that that's I mean, one is a posture, of course, you're watching your phone like this all the time, your neck and your shoulder. Posture too, right? Yeah. Posture, it's terrible, mobile phone. Yeah. And another thing is, of course, you know, whatever you're watching through your screen, it's not real in your five senses right? Whatever the, your five senses, well, five senses means you can feel in this moment, in this space, right? You're safe. Yeah. But I mean, I'm in the middle of this beautiful countryside and nice flat and I'm really relaxed. But then when I start reading about Ukraine, for example, I started to feel very angry or, you know, like I'm watching like a Palestine, whatever. I started feeling really angry. And for my nervous system, the threat is real. You know, your brain cannot distinguish what is really real and what's not real, right? So as soon as you started feeling irritation, fear, anger, which means your brain judge it, it's real. The threat is now here, right? So imagine that you, yeah. you're going through these stories and you keep activating your nervous system by reading horrible stories and then injustice and war and whatever, whatever, whatever. It's so bad. You know, why do we need to torture ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> that is one thing. Oh, even even just movies and video games and everything. We're like Yeah. Killing and violent and We keep torturing ourselves and we think it's just a game, it's just a movie, it's no big deal. No. <laughs> no, I'm totally against that. <laughs> so if you have to watch I I use my phone, of course, my computer all the time for my work. And it's very unfortunate. But I try to avoid watch bad horrible movies violent movies i skip through news i don't have a tv at home so i try not to expose myself as much as i can to these negative violent um movies the the, the motions even stories <sighs> i don't need <laughs> yeah because like while our our brain knows it's our brain might know the difference between reality and fiction, our body doesn't know the difference. So basically, your body is is experiencing that, and yeah. we already talked about what that does. So all these horror movies you're watching, you're discharging hormones in your body from your your adrenal gland. <laughs> oh man! Oh my god! Going back to about you were talking about parenting and teaching and stuff. So the current education model and and parenting model, like especially in the West. Uh, is totally divorced from all of this. It's like just maybe unaware of how our nervous systems develop and unaware of how we learn and how we grow and how we uh, learn how to be proper uh, functioning organisms. How can we, um, how, what, can, what can parents do, even if they are in Japan and they are in the US and this is the way you parent, um, you do have to kind of just go your own way. You don't want to be a total weirdo and, and live your life like, totally freely we are tied to our culture because you know we are social animals but what can a parent do or uh what can a teacher do to help 
bring the child up into a more connected, safe social space so that they don't become traumatized or they can, um, they can just, you know, be a bit more free in that way. Yeah, that's a huge question, right? I know. I asked another guy that too, and he's the same thing. He's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel heartache because I, I have many clients who are parents, who are teachers, who are medical personnel, and I'm not there, but I feel the level of their stress where they're going through every day through work, you know? Well, not only Japan, but especially in Japan, overworked. That's it. <laughs> overworked. Like, stop and please, CEOs, please, companies, please, whoever, please, customers, allow people to take break. And it's okay if it's not so perfect, the service. For me, the Japanese perfection, it's scary. Yeah. Right? The customer service, this, the, the time, this, this, all this complete detailed perfectionism about the business operation. It's almost like OCD or something. It's like this. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like OCD or something where everything has to be perfect. And if you don't follow the rule in this way exactly, they're like, oh, no, I have to follow the rule. Like everything has to be perfect. And that bothers me too in Japan. Like, can't you have any, like there's a lack of flexibility. I'm not trying to complain, but it's very fascinating. What is going on where everything has to be perfect? Completely agree. And, and they can't, there's no yeah. no ability to take risk also. So is that connected to, to, to trauma or anything at all too? Or the sort of, this uh, low risk tolerance, this sort of uh, black and white thinking, this sort of need for perfection, it's, this it's, sort of inflexibility. It's cultural. It, it's cult this is cultural, it's right? Cultural. It's cultural. It's right? a two sides of the same coin. Why the Japanese products are so good yeah. and why Japanese, you know, like art and everything is so perfect and is so precious. That is the other side of the coin. It's, it's obsession and obsessive yeah. to perfection. <laughs> Right? So, you know, all the tourists come from abroad and say, oh, Japan, fantastic, their services. Yeah, I agree. And I really enjoy that too when I come back from somewhere else, you know. But I also know the other side of the coin <laughs> is that the, the self-sacrifice in order to maintain this standard. Yeah. And there is a lot of suicide. And there are a lot of um, sexless couples, for example. <laughs> you know, yeah. all these negative impact of the family yeah. and society or the opposite or the opposite couple of sex like we are japan also has a uh, we don't need to get there but japan is a, a sort of uniquely uh weird underground sort of sex thing going on it's like one of these big porn hubs and weird weird kind of sex kind of thing going on here but you don't have to go there but it's like that's another what is happening if you have any ideas that yeah it's a distortion yeah yeah, but that's, again, it's a distorted version of healthy sexuality. You know, all this is because of this stress level. Yeah. The work demand and perfection and the behavioral code that they impose on themselves, right? So I say, what your first question, what can parents do? I mean, this needs to change in order for the father and mother to be able to relax. That is the most important thing. You know, I was writing um, to some friends recently, like in Japan, the men don't help uh, housework and na-na-na, women suffering so much, na-na-na-na. Yeah, but look at Scandinavia. The guy can leave 
four o'clock to pick up kids. No one complained about it. Man can have a one-year maternity leave. Man can have one-year sabbatical to go to traveling around the world with a family, with the fully paid. Come on, you cannot compare men in those society in this society, right? First of all, the, the social structure has to change. We cannot just blame men not to be cooperative or women to be this way. It's a society as a whole prioritizing productivity and and rising income and money and capitalism that is creating this society. And then parents are under extreme pressure. You know, men has to go and work in one place and then, you know, family don't travel together. The man is working in one country for five years and then the wife and then kids are in Japan. You know, this is abnormal in a normal sense as a family. Right. But this become a norm. It's normal in Japan. So all of these has to change before we start telling individual what to do. Right. Because their nervous system is up to here. Yeah. I can I can only feel sorry. I cannot tell them you need to change this because it's up to here. I can only say breathe. Yeah. <laughs> right? Try to try to relax. Try to try to, to yeah, put your own oxygen oxygen mask on first. Exactly. And also while you're talking about that, I had this idea cuz I'm I've been working in Japan too and I realized Maybe it's because I'm a foreigner or just working in the wrong industries. I don't know, but I feel like this sort of this fear of communication, of honest communication in the workplace too, where there might be some problems or inefficiencies where maybe they, honestly, like by the, by the time it's 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., there's a lot of people just sort of sitting around and twiddling their thumbs and like, yeah, they're working a lot. They want to make the products perfect and all that. But it's also like this fear of like what other people are thinking. And if some, like nobody's speaking up and saying, hey, uh, Maybe we should change this part. Maybe this is not good. And because of the sort of that, what it it seems like some sort of fear of confrontation about bringing up the inefficiencies in the system that sort of uh, basically uh, cuts people off from honest sort of uh, open communication. And as a result, the the problem just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And uh, everyone feels like this is not working, but they're too scared to like communicate and change is that, is that just my experience or is that is, that, is, is there something to that on a larger scale no i think it's totally true it's totally true yeah the japanese people have a difficulty communicating but it's still kind of it's still kind of dangerous right if, if, I, it's kind of scary though like even me like, like you, to talk to your boss and say hey i don't like this like you feel like he's gonna i don't know it just seems dangerous you feel like he's gonna scream at you or attack you or something and yeah. or he's gonna fire you because oh you're not you don't care about this company enough so therefore you can find another company so you feel like this fear like of losing your job if you don't um do things the way that it is and like i feel like in some other cultures you're able able to kind of communicate and not always but uh there's more of that open dialogue going on where you're not going to get fired for criticizing things um, or, you know, s- slowly laid off or whatever. And I feel like people are punished for sometimes uh, criticism here and in general, but I feel like that kind of, that's a bit of a stress. I think people are feeling too, this sort of, I don't, I'm not happy with my work, but I, 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 I gotta, I gotta just gotta kind of deal with it because it's what it is and I can't change my work. Yeah. Um, I feel yeah. that a bit. 
Yeah, especially yeah. for foreigners living in Japan, that is one of the biggest stress factors, the communication, you know. Even you can speak reasonably good Japanese, this very subtle way of communication, the Japanese do so well, not me, <laughs> but the do. Japanese do so well among themselves, you know. This, this way of communication is not new in Japan. This is, this is the history. This is the culture of how they communicate with, with each other. So without outsider, this society somehow manage this way of communication. People know how to communicate their needs、oh. and somehow get what they want.、Yeah. But this subtlety is almost impossible for outsider to understand. Yeah. I totally understand your stress because I'm the same, you know? I left Japan、yeah. when I was 18, so I don't have this very sophisticated <laughs> way of communicating in Japanese. And I'm、yeah. very Western, you know, educated, very open, direct speaker. So it's difficult for me. I, I, I understand. But, you know, Japan is no longer like a unified. Community, you know, we need to open up for also the diversity and outside culture. And of course, you know, our population is declining. There is no way for Japan to survive without accepting more foreigners from outside. This way of communication is becoming more and more difficult for all of us to live together. I completely understand and And I sympathize, you know, my partner is foreigner also, and he lives in Japan for 17 years, and he still cannot get through this first layer, right? So I, I, I understand it's very, very stressful. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, Japan has this sort of high context, this、uh, indirect kind of way of communication. It's not, that's not just Japan, it's sort of, that's in a lot of uh, uh, Asian countries, some of them, and the West tends to be more direct, and that's just cultural, I guess. Basically, within between Japanese people, is it actually effective? Are people able to somehow communicate things in this、um, indirect way? And it's all secretly being sent? And I just, can't, I just can't see those signals. Is that what it is? Yes, yes. Well, otherwise, this,、uh. this culture doesn't survive, right? Somehow they do it. Yeah. And, you know. They, they are in the gray zone. It's not white and they're not in black. They're in the gray and they're different s h a d e of gray. And they are moving from left gray to right gray and they somehow they communicate. Incredible. Incredible. For me, also incredible. But they somehow they do. But a lot of them cannot do, especially more and more nowadays. Yeah. I mean, there are more and more people with developmental. Issues、yeah. because of this, you know, the modern society and nuclear families, and a lot of young adults are, are developing this issue of communication, right? We go back to our nervous system and the ventral vagal, culturally trained nervous system, right? So if the person brought up only with one mother in a very nuclear, isolated setting, And imagine mother was wearing mask for three years of their childhood. How can this baby learn what other humans are communicating? It's impossible, right? And they go into school. They don't understand all these unspoken languages. So there are more and more younger people with this kind of problem. It's a developmental issue, they call it. They label them. But compared to the Japanese, or let's say 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, this new generation of Japanese certainly don't have this sense 
of understanding or feeling into unspoken language. It's it's a culturally embedded code. So yes, it's going to be more and more problems, for sure. Right, because with whatever language we're speaking, whether it's Japanese or English or whatever, we are basically speaking on this sort of this uh, pre-human level, this this nervous system level of facial movements and and tone of voice and eye contact and all of that kind of stuff. And we're covering that up. We're, we're blocking the signals, not only you know with the mask, but also with uh, we're communicating through the smartphones more. We are creating these barriers between each other. We're not having face-to-face contact. So that must be extra hard for especially Japanese people because in the West, at least we are so like literal with our words. Sometimes we're not, we're not great writers, but we can kind of communicate through text and through, uh, through words because we're so literal, like this is what it is. But I'm just imagining uh, if you grew up in a more high context culture where you need the bodily like nonverbal cues to communicate, it's more like nonverbal based here. Yeah. How, what kind of miscommunication and problems can arise when you're talking to people without them being there? You're in the virtual world. You're in virtual reality. You're on the computer um, talking on the phone, not, not even the phone, you're text messaging. That seems like there's a lot of room for uh, conflict there and miscommunication and stuff. Uh, That's why just, we use so much emoji, right? In the text. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Because emoji, it's softening the, the the verbal words that it's written there. If you say, I cannot come to see you tomorrow without emoji, it sounds very blunt and cold. If yeah. they put a three or four different like kind of emoji there, soften it. Right? <laughs> so I, I used to I used to just write a text because I come from, you know. Western kind of uh, behavior. I just want to keep my text short. I don't like (laughs) writing like, oh, what a wonderful sunny day today or, you know, all these seasonal references, nothing like that. I just said, okay, by the way, I need this, boom. You know, someone told me this is very rude. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, so so I realized just the intentional softening is very needed for writing. You know, yeah. so that's why Japanese have this long seasonal commentary before they get into the main main topic, yeah. even in emails. Yeah. Right now, it's a texting emoji. Also, you put like more emojis than actual words. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that part that Japanese stamps. All these line stamps. Yeah, you know, for example, stamps. if you use what if you use WhatsApp, for example, which is like one of the main things used in the West or Messenger, people are mostly just sending like literally words, letters, but. If you get into line or even cacao talk in Korea, you know, people might have like long conversations, you know, where half of the messages are just these giant emojis, these intricate emojis. People buy them. I've, I've bought them because they're so useful. You know, I'll buy these, these sets of these Snoopy stamps or Winnie the Pooh, like, you know, doing different things. And that communicates what I want to communicate. And it's actually pretty effective. But yeah. you, don't, you don't see that kind of communication in like uh, in the West. I think it's a, maybe a good thing, actually. But um, it's different. It's very Japanese or, you know, like just say thank you, but thank you with a little animal stamp, right? That yeah. makes it even softer and and more cute. It might even be animated or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's showing the message. I'm not your enemy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm safe. You can approach me. I'm not going to attack you. Yeah. I'm not angry that you don't come and see me. I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm on your team. We're on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know I, I, this is sort of turning into like a, let's bash Japan episode. I didn't mean for it to be that Japan's a great place. Like everyone, everyone's coming here for obvious, obvious reasons. It's, it's very peaceful. It's very relaxing, great infrastructure. Uh, and every country has its own problems. And I, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm being negative and also I'm kind of pushing you in this other direction where, you know, it's, it's not like, what we're saying is necessarily true. This is your perspective. This is my perspective, but this is like a special chance for me. I've been here for 10 years or more and I've all these questions about Japan. So I'm just going in this other direction here. (laughs) Another reason why we can't, I can't ask these questions to people is like, you know, if you ask a normal Japanese person, these questions, they're going to, they're going to be very uncomfortable and you don't want to make people uncomfortable. They're going to think you're trying to attack them or attack their culture. Or like sometimes they just don't want to think about it. They're not ready to think about it. And, and I, I can't do it, but I can ask you. So it's like, this is fun for me. Another um, thing about Japan is this, it seems to have this very, um, yeah, sounds like I'm criticizing it, but it's just an interesting phenomenon, very infantile sort of juvenile kind of culture to it, where you see like people acting a bit more childish, you know, people acting younger than their age even like if you're in a park or you're walking around the streets, you sometimes if you don't look closely, you don't even notice the difference between the salary man, the worker, and the high school students. They almost like blend in together. They're all wearing the same clothes, walking the same way, doing the same things. I'm thinking it's almost like this big like Peter Pan land where people don't really grow up and they're kind of stuck in youth. I have this feeling, like I said, it's my perception. People might, I might get like some weird like kind of uh, message from Spotify. Hey, you can't say that or something. I don't, but uh <laughs> I don't know, but it's like, I'm really, really curious. I feel like it's very, very youth-based culture where youth and actually beyond that childhood is so like treasured here and everyone sort of wants to, they're kind of trapped in childhood. So there's this Peter Pan thing going on. Uh, even in the sexual realm, that's going on, unfortunately. It's a bit too um, juvenile where everyone's sort of pretending to be younger than they are and they're fantasizing over this stuff. But even the the way people just behave, like I said, like you're walking around and these high school students don't appear to be much different than these 40-year-old men. Uh, it might just be my lack of understanding of the culture because I'm I'm always going to be an alien, always on the outside, but that's how it looks <laughs> to me. So give me your ideas on that and what caused that and... It's kind of moving away from trauma releasing. <laughs> I know, like we're gonna get we're gonna get back there. It's, it's totally, but maybe it's, it might be connected to, to trauma. Is it a traumatized kind of thing going on, like where we can't like move on from our uh, certain states in our development, or is it just like that's just culture and like? <laughs> well, f- first of all, I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, yes, uh, I really wonder about that too. You know, um, why Japanese men always, well, okay, I wouldn't say Japanese men because men likes younger women in general, right? That's that's world world phenomena. I wouldn't say only Japanese. That's everywhere. That's, even in the animal kingdom, probably too, we, we sort of, uh, we want uh, partners who can give off healthy yeah. offspring and take care of the young and all that. So it's just sort of exactly. biological too. It makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Biologically, younger women are more popular because they're more productive. Okay. That's one thing. And another thing is, of course, the media is very flattering young people. You know, young is good, old is bad. And that's a little bit like that in, in, for example, Hollywood. But 
you know, Hollywood is more like a sexualizing women, like, you know, glamorous kind of side. Japan is more like a, uh, how do you call it? This girl, you know, a little bit. Yeah, it's like more cute, not sexy. Yeah, yeah, cute, sexy. It's cute. More like a childish, not womanly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm Japanese woman, so I have my own bias here, right? Um, but the Japanese men don't really like a, a very strong, independent personality of women because it's threatening, yeah. right? So for them, it's a young girl with, with less knowledge, less experience, less challenging, are more welcome. Right. Quite simple, I think. So they know the media know that tendency, so they reproduce those idols and then cartoons and and all creating this very naive, unthreatening female personalities, but have a big bum and then big boobs that's extra, you know? They don't really want to sleep with a child, but they want a childish personality which is non-threatening, but having a, a, a mature body. Yeah. I think that's that's that. What's the what's sort of the woman's perspective on all this? Do they like being cuz it seems like they're kind of being controlled or being sort of like led along and they're just like these passive uh creatures. I mean I like this all this territory is just like controversial whatever. But um from the women's perspective, do you think they're happy with this sort of setup or is it like a just a I don't think so. I don't think like a, so. Like a kind of traumatized fro- fro- frozen frozen kind of state. They seem a bit frozen and they kind of just in shutdown and they're kind of just the men are uh maybe not in shutdown but they're in sort of some sort of um something higher up on the polyvagal ladder some uh maybe they're also in shutdown but they're it seems like women especially seem very frozen and um just kind of getting swept along and high stress but i don't know so you, you feel like they're not they're not happy with the situation or they want things to be different like what's what's going on in the typical woman's mind you think well when they are young yeah they want to be popular among men, right? They want to be flattened. So they go along with men's narrative, right? Yeah. But you can only play a, a young little girl until a certain age, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, late 20s. After 30, if you start acting like that, you just appear to be stupid. Yeah. And then the men started treating you like, a, a, you're a mature woman, but you are stupid, right? Yeah. And then these women get into this struggle, right? So... Some of them develop the different personality and men also start maturing as well. Yeah. Understanding, you know, this this infatuation about this young girl kind of figure is only for the sexual subject or or, or let's say like a fling type of one night stand kind of the fancy yeah. subject. When they actually marry to somebody, you cannot marry a child. Yeah, that doesn't work. Right? Yeah. You need to marry someone that can support each other. Then then the maturity start happening, both sides, men and women. Right? And men get to the certain age, like mid-age, like late 40s and 50s. They're no longer fascinated or attracted to their wives. Now they start looking for the younger ones again. That's called midlife crisis. <laughs> you talked earlier about how in like in Southeast Asia, people are, and I've noticed this too, like one reason why I love Vietnam, especially, but all, a lot of the countries down there is, you know, people are smiling and they're laughing and they're teasing each other. They're playing. It's, it's very playful kind of 
um, atmosphere. And also the voice is more sing-songy, kind of up and down, and their face is moving, and you feel like they're alive, they're animated, and they're like, it's like this real pure kind of communication going on. And like, I guess you mentioned earlier that they children in some of these developing countries, they grow up with a larger social network with grandparents and parents and even uh, people, just strangers, but they're part of the family. It's like a larger community of like, yeah. oh, it could be a hundred people even, you know, and we don't have that in Japan. And so the mother, fa- the, the parent child relationship is a bit severed. The nervous systems aren't connected uh, mm-hmm. as the way they're supposed to be. And, but that, kind of goes on throughout the rest of their life too. So my question is, the nervous system affects our relationships and our communication. And we've talked about that with Japan. Have you noticed any sort of differences in relationships and how men and women connect with one another and uh, date and all of this in like, say, I don't know, these other countries you've been in? Like, does that, um, that original nurturing of the nervous system would you? How would you imagine that would affect our later on dating styles and communication styles and uh, even work? You know, we talked about that too. Mm. It's all the hypothetical stuff. Probably is a hard question too. It's 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 hard question because in West, um, to me, sometimes this excessive feminism is creating certain characteristic on um, of fe- feminine quality. Yeah. I I spent some time in West and and this last 20 30 years of development of feminism originally that was very important it was healthy it was you know necessary but that trend is start coming a little bit too much I notice sometimes Yeah. And that's creating a, a, another dynamics between men and women in West. Yeah, now you don't feel safe to act like a man. It's like you're forced to if I act like a traditional man, then I get punished exactly. or attacked or whatever. So I have to, especially one thing I like about Japan, I know I'm a man, so like you kind of want to feel biologically, you sort of act in certain ways. You, you don't want, I don't want to act like this. I don't want to act like a woman. I don't have, what, you know I mean? I don't want to act like all like, it's still like gender stereotypes, but you know, like men have to act a certain way. And in the West, it's like we're being subdued and like uh, kind of, disabled or something we can't really uh, act and we can't release our natural instincts anymore because they're, they're they're labeled as bad exactly and then i can see you you are almost apologetic to just to say this <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna get like I, I, the people are gonna come come burn down my house or something or i'm gonna get fired from my job somehow or exactly i'm gonna die what kind of a sense of safety to be a man you can't even be a, right even you have to apologize for being a man basically if you're a white man especially you better just just shut up and exactly and don't don't say anything you can't say anything you're just like uh and i wasn't like like i don't know about all the history and stuff like i was just i'm just like 36 years old like i didn't do nothing you know but apparently you've you've been blamed for everything and like oh sorry i don't know exactly i i i feel that in in u.s or, or you're most strongly of course in u.s you know yeah like if you're a white man a middle middle income background you're like bad yeah. <laughs> you're responsible for all the bad things happen you know that that that's one extreme right and and that's i notice in the west is the men and female dynamics and making men feel weaker and and has to be more neutralized 
somehow. I don't know. And and Japan is not so much like that yet. The feminism didn't work in the same way in Japan than than West. So a lot of men say Japanese women are feminine and then nice and all that kind of commentary because we did not 100% adopted this um, Western feminism style or discourse, right? Japan seems a bit like special in that case. Why why is Japan like a... Is it just slow, like slower to adapt to the rest of the world or, or uh, to be influenced by the rest of the world? But like, it seems like a lot of the world is going in that direction. There's sort of this feminism is like coming up, and Japan seems like it's like it's 1955. It doesn't matter. Like it feels yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> because very empowered, independent women they leave Japan, oh. or they live by themselves. You know? Yeah. They don't need men. Men that who likes young. Kids, girls. Well, the women don't fight back here, basically. But in the West, maybe it makes sense, though, because basically everyone wants this sort of balanced, healthy, homeostatic nervous system. We want to feel calm and safe. And yeah, traditionally, it makes sense. Like women were oppressed, then the men were the oppressors a lot of times. So maybe generationally, women sort of built this sort of like men were actually the enemy in some cases. But now all that stress and all that trauma is being released on all of the men. and They've got. To, I guess we've got to find healthier ways to release our trauma than just making labels on people and attacking groups, right? Balance. It's a balance, you know. The female are, you know, a Japanese female are, you know, they they need to find their match, you know. Yeah. If the majority of men li- like certain kind of women, women condition themselves to be that way, w- without any awareness. Unless you leave Japan and experience another culture, you don't know what other alternatives are possible, right? right. And there are, I mean, I hate these, these women, but, um, you know, some a journalist was raped and then she claimed her case. And there are so much backlashes. And a lot of them are women doing that. Wait, they're, they're, wait, they're, they're, they're- you know? The lot of women. wait. So she's. What, what, can you explain that story a little bit? I uh, I'm trying to figure it out. So this this woman, she was uh, allegedly raped by her senior. Yeah. And then she sued him, but this man, this guy, denied he didn't do it. It wasn't consent. Yeah. But she was given alcohol with something mixed up, and she lost conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then she was claiming that was rape. Anyway. People who are criticizing her, a lot of them were women. Yeah. They are saying that she's promiscuous. So the women's enemy were women. Especially here, the certain group of women are still believe these traditional values. I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah. But they are attacking other types of women who are more forthcoming, more open, more direct, more free. They think the uh, these are threat to them, promiscuous and because you're different than them. Yeah. yeah, and then largely in the society, male dominant society, these women are not very appreciated. As a woman, okay, as a workforce, they're very intelligent, very strong. The leadership, yeah, fine, but as soon as you know, little bit of personality start emerging in a relationship, boom, not acceptable. 
Yeah, there's the the men are in charge. The women cannot challenge the man. Yeah, and then the women who challenge men, they are outcasted. You think it would blow up eventually? Eventually, like that trauma is going to have to be released because women must be feeling stress from that. There must be a lot of buildup of stress. Uh, you know, the Japanese woman because she's not able to release that. Yeah, it's actually kind of uh, interesting. Is some some of these people will will seek help and you know they'll uh, go to you and go do the trauma release exercises. And some people would never do that. They'd be like, no, no. Um, do you notice a kind of trend in openness towards helping yourself in different countries, not just Japan? Some people kind of come to you and some people just will never come to you. Hmm. Do you notice a kind of trend in that? What type of person is going to be even open to being helped? Um, you know, my clientele is so diverse, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, for example, in, in Vietnam, I mean, I'm a certification trainer. I'm training people to become a provider, right? So I yeah. often not directly helping the general public. Okay. Okay. So there is this layer of understanding. I mean, the kind of people I deal with that are extremely traumatized. Yeah. Almost like pathological level or people in the industry to, to serve others like teachers or therapists or this kind of people. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not from my work experience to answer this question, but generally speaking, any society, when there is a disharmony in the society, these individuals start seeking alternative way of living. Yeah? So yeah. this is same as DRE, but nervous system, if they cannot fight or flight in this situation, you get to a certain point, either they become sick or the nervous system, i.e. themselves, their instincts, start searching alternative way of living. Okay? So in Japan, there is this man and woman couple. They're completely disconnected. Both are not happy, but they're not willing to change anything, the relationship. Yeah? Yeah. A man disconnect and then just uh, uh, obsessed with work and obsessed with I don't know, a little bit of alcohol or whatever, whatever, whatever. And women start finding their own way of releasing whatever that is outside of the relationship, outside of marriage. And I don't know if it's a happy or not happy. I don't want to judge that. But this is us, our human being, our nervous system. We don't just stay. Our life force is always trying to find the way out of the certain situation. Yeah. Right. From coming from West, divorce is not a big deal. So, oh, if you're like that, why don't you get divorced? Right. Oh, yeah. you're not having sex for five years. Why don't you get divorced? Yeah. Right. It's very simple for them to say that. But if the society, not only in Japan, but a lot of Asia, divorce is almost a stigmatization, then what do you do in that unhappiness? Each party starts finding the way. It's not perfect, but they are always find the way. And that's how society develops, how the culture develops, how the human being evolves and develops. That's why we are not extinct, because our nervous system always find the way to survive. Yeah, and sometimes it's not from actual releasing the energy, but sometimes, oftentimes it's from distracting ourselves and exactly this might be a reason why i've noticed that like um I, I do some work in the virtual reality industry too and 
I noticed that Japan has a huge like interest in in virtual reality and in video games and in virtual world, worlds in general. You know, you even hear these stories of people having like these uh, I don't know, virtual girlfriends and stuff like this and all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they, this is like uh, another way to deal with your trauma, right? To kind of, it's not like a necessarily the long term most efficient way or healthiest way, but you know, it's a it, it, it helps you at least uh, survive, right? Exactly. That is their coping mechanism, right? And that's a must dissociation happening here. So aside from dissociation, what are some other ways that we deal with our trauma? One way is to hit it head on and actually you know, shake and move and, and release the energy. One is dissociation. Are there other ways that we uh, kind of deal with uh, this trauma? It's a very difficult question because these people have no awareness that they are traumatized. These people are completely yeah. driven by this instinctual level and they think it's okay. And I think it's okay because who are we to say your way is wrong? You know, eventually yeah. they become physically sick. They go to hospital. They realize they have to change something about their lives. Right. But we really cannot go out and say, hey, what you're doing is no good. Let, let's change it. I try to change whole world through humanitarian work and i realize i cannot right. change i cannot even change one individual outside of myself <laughs> you know i used to work at the very top level of this uh, world peace and all that and then coming to this place of meditation and then the body work and that's only because i can only change myself and then the person for willing to change themselves they can change themselves but that's all they can do Right. And from this place, yeah. you can only open the arm and then people who want to be helped will come to me. People who still not realize they need help. In long term, it's not healthy or no good. When they have no awareness in this moment, unless they're harmful to other human beings, there is no way you can tell them to change. But when you change yourself, like at least you're stopping, well, maybe not fully stopping because you're always going to be hurting somebody. It's hard not to hurt somebody, but you're going to be reducing the harm you're doing to people. Like we're going back to that parenting idea we're talking about where, you know, the parent needs to be touching the child and smiling and taking care of them and giving these safe social cues, being emotionally and physically there for them, all of that. When like, like if, for example, I start talking in a really stressed out state because I didn't sleep last night or like I actually am, I got trauma or whatever, or I'm just stressed out. That's going to spread to you. You're going to, you're going to feel stressed. You know, if I've talked to some friend, he's complaining about stuff and he's freaking out, um, not judging him, but that's going to spread to me and I'm going to start getting more negative. And then I'm gonna, that's going to spread to you and that's going to spread to your husband. It's all going to be this big chain reaction. So if we kind of stop the fire within ourselves and sort of calm, put that fire out, uh, it seems like if enough people can do that, even if just one person can do that, that, that still might uh, make 20 people's days better or at least this one hour of conversation will be more healthy and will feel better. So like because our nervous systems are interconnected, we're, we think that we are these separate beings and we kind of are, but like on this subcortical level on this in this body, we're transmitting energy between each other and stuff, right? And we're sending these signals and we're like your nervous system, your facial cues and your voice and my voice, it bounces back and forth and it, and it, and it 
changes me. It might put me in fight flight mode. It might put me in, uh, it might lift me up to this safe space because you're exhibiting this warm atmosphere or something. You're talking slower, all these different things. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of cool how we kind of can magically help each other by not trying to help each other, but just by trying to help ourselves. And if we're in a safe, social connected space, then like it calms down. I used to have these fights with my brother sometimes, me and my older brother. And I feel bad now because I didn't understand all of this before then. But, you know, I was such a verbal, um, I was focusing on words and I thought words were the thing. And I'd say this, and I'd say that. And a lot of us are doing that. But then when you realize like how you're saying it, if you're, if you're talking and saying anything, but at the same time, you're kind of angry or scared underneath, then that comes out and that, that, that makes the other person angry and fighting and you start fighting with each other and you're like, you don't even know why you're fighting, but you're both not happy. You want to love each other. You want to connect, but you, when you're trying to connect, you're end up fighting because neither one of you is starting the, with yourself. Yeah. You're waiting for, it's just like a, it's a mess, you know? So how can, um, I, I guess it's more of a comment, but yes, yeah, it's magical how like, we can change other people by just changing ourselves Exactly. And how much we are connected with one another. Yeah. It's wild. Because if the, the other person is very activated, and if that activates you, it's your nervous system. It's you, right? Yeah. If the other person is activated, but you can stay grounded and calm from the ventral vagal, that frequency will calm their nervous system down eventually. So when we encounter people who are, are angry or they're yelling at us, or uh, maybe they love us, but they're just they're attacking us because they have to attack something. How can we, I guess you just pause and breathe or something, but how do you, how do you calm yourself down and therefore calm him or her down? What's there, what are some things you could do in that moment? Cause it's hard. But that's a question of boundaries. If it's, if your body feels the threat, you have to walk away. Yeah. You have to protect yourself. Yeah. You cannot pretend to be just leave, you know, saint. Yeah. That's a self-sacrifice. And right. that's not what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a question of boundaries, right? So we should kind of like control who's in our life and, and not let everyone into our lives. And uh, we should be careful with who we surround ourselves with and not just let anybody come in. And Because if it's really harmful for you, if it's really harmful for you right this moment, you have to protect yourself. That's normal. Yeah. Right? And then that's another thing. Is now, now we judge people like that as being selfish or they don't love, you know, we're, we're so... Uh, at least in the West, we're so told to be like, not be selfish. Um, and in Japan too, anywhere. And it's kind of hard to just ignore somebody. Um, but I guess sometimes we have to just, just cut them off and just leave, leave certain relationships. Yeah. Stay grounded, but set the boundaries. Yeah. That's it. This is very important. You cannot save others. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> Dude, I'm exhausting you probably. I'm asking like every freaking thing I, I want to ask you. I'm just going to make sure there's anything else like while you're here. Uh, how about language? I know we're like, dude, let's stop this. We got to go. I know we'll go soon. Um, Have you noticed like how language itself, like is there any differences between just the language itself, like Japanese language, there's kanji, there's ways of talking, there's hierarchies, there's English that people talk differently in Thai. Is there anything about the language itself, the structure of the language itself that might... <laughs> make it easier to connect with one another or harder to connect with one another. I, I, we can't say language is like this language is better, but some languages might um, have limitations and, or things. 
I think each each language have this embedded code conditioning, and that's connected to this behavior, so-called culture, right? So if you are brought up in that culture, speaking that language, especially when you're younger, you're exposed to that social environment using that language, you naturally adapt that code of conduct as well, right? The behavior code. Yeah, you understand the language fully and how it connects to culture and everything. Yeah. As someone who studied language when you're grown up and just separating the language from social behavior and unspoken um, thing, then however you're fluent in that language, it's very difficult to 100% understand. I mean, I was brought up in Japan. It's my first language, but I wasn't exposed to... Japanese adult culture because I left Japan when I was 18. Yeah. As soon as I finished high school, I left. So I'm not exposed to that adult, mature business kind of Japanese. Yeah. So for me, it's very difficult. My first adult language became English eventually. So for me, it's easier to speak in English and communicate to be able to express myself fully. When I'm speaking Japanese, always there's certain limitation a certain hidden part of me, yeah? yeah? But that's because I have a choice of different languages. But Japanese people only speak Japanese, and that's the only way for them to live and speak and express themselves. So they don't see any issue with that. But same in any languages. Yeah, and then we're, we're traveling a lot of times, and we're talking to people. Nowadays, we have to have intercultural communication. And you've been living in different places, and you realize, like, communication is going to be different in each of these places. Like, what are some things people can do to uh, improve their intercultural communication? Of course, they don't, they're not going to know the language, but they just have to behave. There has to be some sort of nervous system kind of communication going on. What can people do to connect better with people who are apparently different than them? Because we do share certain mammalian, a lot of our mammalian and human things. That's like basically the same. So like knowing your understanding of the nervous system and all this trauma release stuff and all of that, um, what can people like say a Japanese person who's traveling to the U S or to Thailand, uh, what kind of advice would you have for them to just improve their communication and be able to get along, even if they don't speak English? Is there any kind of things we could do with that? Um, if you don't feel safe in a certain places, it might be coming from your filters, your neuroceptions, right? Because you are not used to these people with this kind of color. For example, black people or, yeah. you know, whatever, the color of the skin or the size of the body. Yeah. Or tone of voice. Because right. like South American, they talk a lot, right? Like Chinese, they talk a lot. And that's sometimes <laughs> a little bit overwhelming to Japanese, right? So that changed their neuroceptions, the sense of safety. It's not safe. Yeah? Yeah. So having this understanding of neurology really help us to reassess what we are feeling is true or it's come from our filters and our background. And this really challenges our perspective about judging other culture and other people, other people's behavior. It's not only abroad, but this interhuman relationship. Yeah. Why people behave this way? This is bad. He's horrible. But is that behavior is normal for these people 
or this group of people, it's not rude or it's not bad. It's just you feel that way. Yeah. So what you challenge, not them, it's your perceptions. At the same time, be kind and be compassionate with your own senses because this is intrinsic. It's your instinct. Okay, from my culture, from my upbringing, I don't feel this is safe. Okay, I understand. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. What can I do about this? Shall I move away from this? Or get closer bit by bit? Yeah, it requires intelligence, not just body. Body, of course. Yeah, but you cannot change that in your perception overnight. But understanding that, having this intelligence to understand what's going on, I think it reduces this unnecessary judgment of, of others. So like the more we can, when we first encounter somebody or anytime we're talking to someone, it's almost going to be better most times if we start bottom up with the communication. Like look at someone, not yes. don't first just judge them from here, from your forebrain. Don't judge them whether good or bad, because that's all coming from up here, like good and bad and stupid and smart. And then also um, the words they're using and you like that we got we got to look at that we got to look at yeah. listen to the words but first look at okay what nervous system state is this person in and what state am i in what am i in what are they in that's the basis that's like 90% of the communication is my nervous system yeah. talking to this nervous system we can deal with the words we can deal with all that stuff that human stuff later but first let's let these animals communicate and look at that. what where am I? Where are they? And then that makes you makes it so much easier. You're like, dude, he's not mad at me. He's not. He doesn't mean that. He's just he's stressed. He's a uh, he's this or that. You know. And that I found that to be kind of really useful. It's like, whoa, uh, it's much simpler than. Yeah. Basically, we're screaming at each other. Help me! Help me! Get away from me! And it's like a few basic animal, uh, you know, communications that we're doing. But the words are like up there. But we're focusing on the words, but that's not the that's not what's going on. The words are just there usually, and they're like extra yeah. icing on the cake. And we got to start with the body, and then move up and start looking at what is being said through the brain later on. Yes, and more importantly, what you're feeling. Yeah. Instead of oh, they're stressed, we have to understand. No, no, no. You, 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 you. Where are you? You're not feeling safe. Okay, I'm not feeling safe. It's okay that I don't feel safe, but it doesn't mean they're bad people. I'm just not feeling safe. Okay, where do I move from here? I feel uncomfortable without judging them, offending them. So I just move back a little bit. Do I feel safe? If I do one step distance, do I feel safer? Yeah, because it's so easy to just say, okay, very compassionate, kind people. Oh, they are not, they are not bad. They're, it's about them. It's about you. It's always that it's from you. If you don't feel comfortable, it's okay that way. But don't judge them. It's not their fault. It's your perception. It's your nervous system. It's your past. It's, that makes you see what you see, but it doesn't mean it's real. Yeah. Having that little room to just to move a little bit. Okay. Okay. It's, it's too close. I don't feel safe. Okay. One step behind. Okay. How do I feel? Okay. From here, I feel safe. That I can really hear what he's saying. Do you understand? Yeah. It's very subtle, but it's starting from you because they're not going to change. They talk the, exactly how they talk. Stress today or no stress today, that's what they are. Yeah. Right? Not judging is important, but it's really noticing you. 
So we, and we just have to practice, like, because we're so disassociated from our feelings and from our body, we just have to, like, slowly, day by day, start to do little exercises and just listen to our body and slowly yeah. build this awareness. Without judging you. Just feel it and be like, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being an animal. I'm okay, okay in my body and I'm not, my body's not bad or my body's not whatever. And you, you're just like, oh. And you start to build this trust with your own body. And then when you go out into the world of objects and people, then your body will tell you things and you'll, it'll, you'll be doing things and you'll be able to, Oh, like you'll know where it is. But otherwise I think we just forget about the body. So yeah, how do we, um, we, we just train, we just kind of just bit by bit, start listening to our body and yeah. getting more in touch with it. Feel your body, feel your senses. Don't judge it. Doesn't mean it's true. Knowing always in, involved your neocortex. It doesn't mean it's real how you're feeling. They're not bad people. It's not dangerous. But your nervous system is feeling that way. That is truth. Yeah. And respect that. Okay. Nowadays, things like all these supposed mental illnesses, their body illnesses, I would say, but you know, ADHD and schizophrenia and bipolar and all of these things, even Alzheimer's and all these things uh, seem to be like sharply on the rise. There are a lot of reasons for this probably, but do you think that trauma or the bodily trapping of energy is playing any role in this how is the this sort of bodily tension this physical you know trauma connected to the what we're calling mental illness and disorders these days i mean i cannot comment on all mental health disorders because i'm not a psychiatrist right um yeah of course but there are so many people diagnosed I mean, if you don't feel well, you go to hospital and then the normal physical clinic cannot diagnose with anything, you know, they send you to, okay, go and try mental health, check your mental health. It could be stress, it's emotion, maybe, you know, so a lot of people are taking medications and then an antidepressant and things like that, purely because they don't know what else they're wrong. They just don't feel well. Yeah. Those are clearly labeled pathologies, the schizophrenia, and they say, I don't want to comment on it because I don't have an expertise on that. Yeah, I know. But yeah, generally yeah. speaking, people go to those mental health clinics and take medication without knowing what exactly wrong with them. And I think a lot of the time, stress and underlying trauma from their childhood. Because people who had experienced severe um traumatic event or traumatic um, childhood over a period of time, they are much more vulnerable and prone to mental illnesses or mental health issues when they grow up. So yeah. in this sense, I can say yes to your question. Okay. Um, and you're based in Yamanashi or where are you? Yes, I, I mean Yamanashi. I have a lot of listeners in Japan, actually, in Tokyo and in Kansai, and um, not a lot, but you know, relatively speaking. And so, some of the people might actually want to, uh, you know, get in touch with uh, you or your trainers. I mean, I'm even thinking about getting TRE certified. I got to look at all the details of it. Uh, what can people do uh, if they want to get in contact with you or just learn more about TRE? I know there's lots of good um, YouTube videos and stuff, and there's books, but how can they connect with you? How can they try all this, learn about it? Um, yeah, give us some 
some resources? Um, one, I have a website, www.saikani.com slash English, which is an English uh, website. Um, they can write to me and I can refer them to the right people in the right locations. Okay. Because it's all over the world, right? There's a global, yes. whole global yes. network. Yeah. Yes. Um, if you're not in Japan, you can contact www.treforall.com. That's a global website. Okay. And you can find provider through this website anywhere in the world. Okay. Right? Yeah. And if you want to be certified to be able to teach TRE to others, you can contact me. And I am running a certification program in Japanese and English as well. So if you're an English speaker and if you want to be certified in English, then you can contact me and then I can give you information. What are the benefits of, of, of becoming certified? Like if I get certified, what, what can I do after that? Or what, what do people typically do after getting uh, certified? So if you are certified to become a provider, you can teach TRE officially to people and charge people. Yeah. Otherwise, you cannot teach others. It's kind of dangerous too, right? Because it's a whole... Exactly. It's, it's dealing, with, dealing with people's traumas and their bodies and everything, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it depends. You know, they want to learn it for their own interest and then just want to teach their friends and families without charging. That's okay. If you're already working in, the, in the interpersonal jobs, then you want to use TRE to help your client. Obviously, this is the way. Yeah. So... And overall, it's, it does connect back to your humanitarian background because TRE, unlike a lot of these other treatments, is um, almost free. It's very cheap for people. And also, it's not a subscription model. Now, with like, say, pharmaceuticals, you have to keep buying the medicine for your whole life and keep paying and keep paying. And you can't help yourself. But with TRE, it's like once one person's learned, they can teach someone else and they can teach someone else. I even noticed, I saw that you were in Vietnam and you were teaching these people there. And now they've set up their own groups. And wow. That's exactly. cool. So we're talking about how to help people yeah. is maybe just just teach people, teach one person at a time and and, and heal yourself too and uh, take care of your own system. Yeah. And then you can teach group as well. Yeah. You can do the group session. You can do up to five, six people you can teach. And um, it's a self-help tool. It's not a clinical therapy tool. Yeah. If you're a therapist and use it in that setting, that's fine. But it is developed as self-help tool for the people in developing countries, how Dr. Berselli first developed, right? Yeah. So the low resource country. So they can community collectively can help themselves to overcome trauma. And they shake together and they use DRE. So that was original model. Yeah. So like you said, this is really a, a wonderful tool, the self-help tool in the connection with community and in the groups together. Yeah. It's like a peer-to-peer -peer model. Yeah, yeah. The, the parents can help their family. The family can help their community. It's more of like a self-help and kind of community help um, thing. Exactly. Not being directly tied to this larger corporate structures or any of that. It's just your own like affordable, uh, convenient self-help kind of tool. Um, well, thank you so much for this super long time. I feel like I just abused you or something. Like you're going to be all traumatized. <laughs> like I, I just got carried away. Like I, even towards the end, it's like, I, I just wanted to keep talking to you. Like I actually probably exhausted most of my questions. Like 
40 minutes ago and people probably stopped listening like 40 minutes ago like okay is he ever gonna stop but i was just like i was i was asking all these questions and but there got a point where i was just enjoying kind of like talking to you so i was like it's like when you're talking to your friend and you you know it's time to go and you're like you just keep talking and you're not talking about anything yeah you still want to and i was kind of getting there so thank you for uh putting up with my um eagerness to stay here and for answering all my questions, I hope uh, no I didn't put you in a fight flight mode too much. And only that. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I've been I've been talking to another TRE provider too. I think he's in I think he's in the U.S. And I'm gonna do an interview with him too, and uh, some other people. This is a cool topic, and I think it's good that you're doing it. And then I hope you know more of the world gets awareness of this because it's just such a simple cool little trick that like it's a i don't know why it's not known more i guess it's just it doesn't make the company's money so uh, it makes sense but but you know this morning i was just talking to the the some hr in the big corporate yeah and she's teaching tre to the employees just at the stress releasing that's great that's also really and it's team building yeah because when all of them becoming less competitive yeah. and fight or flight the team operates better yeah. So there's so many ways to use TRE. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your super, you gave me your whole day, <laughs> no. basically. Um, I feel, I feel a bit guilty. I feel guilty, actually. I'm like, God, I just abused you. No, now. don't feel guilty. No, it was really nice. I mean, your questions are very genuine. I can totally relate to someone who lives in Japan 10 years and they still have a lot of questions. And why? You know, and I think... Normal Japanese people cannot answer to these questions. So, and I felt a bit guilty there too because I thought, like, I don't want you to think I'm, I hate Japan or that. No, no, no. Anybody's fault no, or anything. No, not at all. You know how I answer this. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's curious. Because I know so many different cultures and I'm very critical of my own culture too. So, okay, actually, I have one last question. I know we got to go, but. I've listened to you talk before and you're talking about fragility and we did touch on this before, but some cultures and some people are more fragile. They're more uh, sensitive to incoming threats and they get rattled by this. They get traumatized by this. How can we become, using the words of uh, Nicholas Nashim Taleb, about becoming anti-fragile, you know, how can we become more anti-fragile? How can we become more like protected against becoming traumatized uh hard question but i want to i want to decrease my own fragility and i want i see these japanese people they, they seem so fragile uh, i'm worried about when they go travel overseas and they're entering the real world and they're gonna get like really traumatized uh how can how can japanese people or how can anybody just sort of make themselves more resilient and anti-fragile and that's the last question i'm i'm, I'm i promise and then we'll go <laughs> Very difficult question. <laughs> the reason why they're fragile yeah. is because they have some kind of unfinished trauma in the background. Yeah. That's why their alarm is so sensitive. Okay? Yeah. So knowing that, you work with your own history first. Right? Mm -hmm. And don't judge yourself to be fragile. And this this very oversensitive nervous system is acting that way so that they can protect you. So it's your protection. So you should be grateful for that yeah. first. It's keeping you safe. And knowing that, yeah, keeping you safe. Okay. And don't undermine that. 
All right. So understanding this concept, you have, well, <laughs> if I use that the uh, firearm again, you know your fire alarm is too sensitive. Okay. So one thing is you can try not to create the smoke for your cooking. Or when it's ring, you know it's not real emergency. You don't have to panic. Yeah? yeah. Okay, it happened again. Bring your chair, stand up on it, and turn it off. Yeah? So it's like that. It's nothing you can change overnight yeah. because this is your basic survival tool embedded in your system. But when it's alarming, knowing that it may not be real threat, let's not judge it. Let's not get panic. Just breathe and then just to see, is it really a danger? Yeah. So you can retune the retune your body, retune the fire alarm, but also slowly try to change your situation, try to change your environment and get less smoke. Yes. And so these two different approaches and just being aware of the situation and realize, hey, this fire alarm is trying to save me. This smoke is here. Um, what are we going to do about it? Uh, but this is a reality. Yeah. yeah. And gradually fine tune it. And slowly start connecting with others. Yeah. Which makes you feel safe. First of all, you meet other people, you don't feel so safe because the false alarm, remember it's false alarm. Okay. And then slowly, slowly getting used to finding moment by moment what makes your body feel safe. Accumulate that physical experience of what it's like to be feel safe. What is comfort for you with others? So exposing yourself bit by bit to that kind of environment, finding a little moment of joy to connecting with others, to be able to trust your body can trust other humans. Accumulating that experience, you eventually realize you can go any country and anywhere in the world, and then all humans are same. So we start just taking leaps of faith and trusting people. And even though we might not, it might not come back to us. Day to day. They might not, like that you might scratch the monkey's back, but the monkey doesn't scratch you back or you try to help and they ignore you. And it doesn't always go the way, but just trying to get in the habit of, of being nice to people and helping people and, and trusting people, even though, and just recognizing they're not always going to give you that trust back, but just by taking that kind of leap of, uh, jumping into that land of trusting people more and more as a habit, then the more people will start to trust us. And through that, that mutual trust, we'll start to feel safe and feel together. Based on your nervous system. Yeah, yeah. Based on your nervous system. It's not from the head. Yeah, yeah. Not because you should be kind. Yeah. Because your body feels safe. You make the other feel safe with you. Right. But we can't trust everybody. We can't give everyone our trust because then we'll, that's dangerous, right? So we have to sort of listen to our nervous system and say, this person's safe, this person's dangerous, and trust that nervous system because that is going to protect us. But also realize that... Uh, Maybe false alarm. It might be false alarm. The head might be kind of uh, creating a little illusion for ourselves. Yeah. Give a little, little chance. Yeah. Just one step forward and see. If you don't like, you can always get back. Yeah, I do. Thank you so much. And you got to go. I got to go. Thank you so much. And uh, see you next time. Thank you. Well, we keep in touch and let me know if I can do anything else for you. T-R-E is a place to be. David Berselli, the real OG. Help my body. Mind and community, shake, rattle, and roll, talk to Saikani. Go to her website, www.saikani.com. 
Kiari for all, or Y-O-U-G-U-B-E.